0: Folks, this is your friendly neighborhood studio man Nick Drostoff. Welcoming you to another episode of Variable the Postulate Ensemble Projects. We've been on hiatus for a while, well, but things are starting back up. Everyone seems a bit scattered as we come out of this weird and forced hibernation. Schedules have been kind of all over the place. But I think we're back on track now. I've got a great interview for this show. This is my conversation with one of the busiest musicians in Chicago, bassist Steve Hash, Hashimoto. I put air quotes around Hash, but it's the audio program. So, yeah, Stephen Hash, Hashimoto. He has a great deal to share with you. You've got to listen to this. Now, as some of you know, during the pandemic year, I added another double to my instrument arsenal. The electronic valve instrument, a MIDI wind controller designed with a trumpeter in mind. I like to set up logic templates, logic being my digital digital audio workstation. Um, and I like to set up templates for practice purposes. This first sort track is just one of those. I'm going to play it as part of my embryonic effort to develop music with this instrument. Here's a track that I'm calling Hunter's Groove. The drum tracks are looped samples that I uh, kind of pulled together myself out of some materials I had laying around, and all the rest of the simple track were done with the EV and a couple of plugins designed for it. So here's Hunter's Groove. hope you enjoy that little thing. I have yet to embrace ambient or avant-garde music with the EV, even though it's just screaming for it. But I'm still learning it. Uh, perhaps on the next show. Okay, today's program is an interview with bassist, graphic designer, composer, arranger, photographer, and general all-around artist Steve Hashimoto. I've known Steve for many years, and have always found his quiet presence. On the band's end, a joy to sense. Let's listen to some of his music before we launch into his interview. Here's a chart called Goya. folks, I'm here in my basement (laughs) with uh, Steve Steven, a.k.a. Hash Hashimoto, uh, the busiest musician in Chicago, uh, bass player, extraordinaire, composer, photographer, um, everything. Uh, uh, Steve, man, how are you doing?
1: Well, not so busy anymore. Certainly not the busiest <laughs> musician by what I see on Facebook. Yeah. You know, like Saturday night, I was on Facebook and I see all these guys posting from quote their office. You know, and I'm like, am I the only guy in Chicago not working tonight?
0: Yeah, they're all making ten dollars a piece, so don't don't yeah. let them pull you. <laughs> Jazz cash is what we call it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay too. You know? Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. See, we just um, uh, listen to a tune uh a a chart called goya uh from sueño, uh suenio latin jazz group tell, tell me, Suenios, sorry my bad uh tell us all about that tell me everything
1: uh well i always say you know when i do these library concerts i always give little lectures uh-huh. and i always try to point out that um latin music quote unquote is a huge huge Um, uh, genre. And I always, uh, and a lot of the, quote, Latin musicians that I play with, we always laugh when we get on a jazz gig as Uh sidemen. And a leader says to us, okay, let's do this tune and let's do it Latin. Well, what does that mean? (laughs) If you're talking to a Latin musician, what do you mean? Do you mean... (laughs) And most jazz musicians, when they say, let's play this Latin, they mean bossa nova, or maybe they mean samba.
2: Yeah, yeah. But
1: to um, us, and I say that with a grain of salt, because, of course, I'm Japanese, but yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've been pretty well accepted by the Latin music community.
0: Certainly. Yeah. When
1: you say that to us, we want to know, do you mean Afro-Cuban? Do you mean salsa? Do you mean... Uh, Cha cha cha. Do yeah, you mean yeah. rumba? Uh you, Any of the other, you know, I mean Caribbean. Do you mean uh, calypso? So Goya was my attempt at writing something influenced by flamenco music, which is a an entirely different branch of Latin music, and
2: uh-huh.
1: most jazz musicians, uh, their point of reference for for flamenco would probably be La Fiesta by Chick Corea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, you know, flamenco music uh, has a harmonic implication. It has rhythmic implication. And so Goya was my attempt to write music that was influenced by kind of a specific sort of flamenco music, Uh Um, older flamenco music, sort of... um, courtly dancing flamenco music and it's um it's a much more difficult tune than it appears on the surface Uh as we find out whenever we try to play it (laughs) and if we haven't played it for a long time in my band or if i have a substitute on the band that uh intro a vamp kind of figure, the da 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 Yeah. That's, it's hard to count, and you just have to be able to feel that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And
1: the other thing that I always say about Latin music when I give these library concerts, and a lot of times people will ask me, well, how did you, as a Japanese-American, come to love latin music so much and my answer is always that to me latin music is just complete it has to begin with it has emotion yeah and um i'll be very frank and i know that a lot of people will be angry at me for this but um i don't feel a lot of emotion in Contemporary jazz music. Uh
2: Um,
1: I hear technical accomplishment. I hear um, musical sophistication, but very often I don't hear or feel either the joy or the sorrow that you get in Latin music. Yeah. And Latin music also has tremendous rhythmic sophistication. Yeah. And uh, can have a combination of either harmonic sophistication or harmonic simplicity uh, subjugated to the rhythm and the groove, and it's also got melody. So it kind of has everything that I look for in yeah. music.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Who is a uh, you have, first of all? you have a really unique instrument. T- Excuse me. A really unique instrumentation on that. Tell me about that.
1: Um, well, that's the only track on that album that I have, a uh, classical nylon string guitar uh-huh. uh, played by a guitar player named Michael Kent Smith, not our friend, the alto player, Mike Smith, uh-huh. but Michael Kent Smith,
2: uh-huh.
1: who um, is pretty knowledgeable about flamenco music and, um, I guess I also have, um, I can't even remember what I have on that.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, but the band in general, the, the, for the majority of the album, is anchored by Steel Drums, played uh-huh. by Joe Sonnefeld. And um, other than that, kind of a traditional jazz rhythm section, I play electric bass, I have electric piano. Um, drum set and uh, uh, percussion, usually congas, uh, timbales on a couple of tunes.
0: Uh Uh, Who do you use on horn usually?
1: Well, Mike Levin is the first saxophone player first okay. chair on that particular band and if he's not available i use
0: dan Hessler okay uh,
1: because they're both multi-instrumentalists and yeah. um i, I, I like hear to hear
0: that have... i hear clarinet in some yeah. yeah yeah
1: well mike also plays bass clarinet on oh, the wow. uh, mothra album huh. but i like to have the ability to choose between timbres of uh alto sax tenor sax flute clarinet bass clarinet Uh soprano sax um and of course they're not going to bring all of those instruments to every you know (laughs) every jazz paying gig but generally speaking they will bring a variety of instruments and if i feel like i really am going to want to play something that has soprano sax on a gig i'll say can you make sure you bring your soprano Uh
2: uh-huh
1: uh, if it's more of a jazz quartet gig, Mike will usually bring clarinet because he thinks that possibly uh, we'll play something older, like or from the Benny Goodman uh, yeah. era or even older. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, when I've used trumpet, which is very rare just because I never have enough money sure. for uh, all those guys on the I gig, but I've fun. used you. Yeah. And um, occasionally I use Steve Thomas on trumpet. Oh, yeah. And uh, I did at one time have an eight-piece version of the band, which lasted about a month because we could never find a gig. <laughs> and uh, Craig Sunkson, uh, Sunken was the uh-huh. trombone player on okay. that version.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve... Uh, what drew you to music uh, to become a professional musician? I think uh, you know, a lot of my listeners, yeah, you're <laughs> laughing. Uh, a lot of my listeners are um, students and uh, younger musicians who are looking for inspiration. So inspire us, if you will. Tell us what got you in there. I was misled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dad was
1: an amateur musician. Uh-huh. Uh, he played trumpet when he was young. And when he uh, joined the Army in World War II. He was the company bugler for his company. Wow. Uh, he, he blew Reveille and taps every day. And uh, he told me it was a pretty cushy assignment for him, although he had to wake up before everybody to play Reveille. <laughs> and so um, the first instrument that I played, he bought me a snare drum for some unknown reason, and that only lasted for about two weeks before uh-huh. the neighbors complained. Uh, and then he bought me a trumpet. And yeah. I started taking trumpet lessons when I was about seven or eight years old, I uh-huh. think. Uh, they used to send music teachers around to the Chicago public schools. And uh, I can't remember what I paid for private lessons. It was probably like $10. Yeah. I had to yeah. go to a local church and take trumpet lessons to learn how to read. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Which was really valuable for me, and I didn't really know that until much, much later.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, then when I was in high school, I met Dean Rolando, who a lot of your viewers will know. Yeah. Uh, Dean kind of took me under his wing in high school, and he was already playing gigs. And the important thing was that Dean's father, Boyd Rolando, was a real professional musician he was Uh a working musician he was on the bozo circus band
2: so he had
1: a steady gig in the morning and he usually had gigs in the evening Uh and um so we would go over to dean's house after school and boyd would be sitting in the living room with all the shades drawn watching television Uh and he'd tell us about his his gig coming up or his his bozo gig during the day and it just it seemed so much fun and so different from all of our other parents who had to go to work at the office Uh at nine o'clock every morning and come home at five but boyd obviously loved his work
2: Yeah, yeah and
1: since dean was already working he kind of you know i guess i saw somebody who was roughly my age and felt like well it seemed like a viable and I never even thought of it as a career, but it seemed like a viable option to do yeah. as a person.
0: Yeah. yeah. Very very interesting. Very interesting. Um, you know, let's let's listen to some more music for a minute. Um the next track I wanna play is called Gold Mountain from Mothra. Tell us about Gold Mountain. Okay, so
1: that was inspired by traditional Chinese music, oh. uh, but uh, merely inspired by. I don't. The, the melody may have bits and pieces here that are taken directly from some song that I may have heard somewhere. But basically, I was. So the the, the phrase "gold mountain" is what the Chinese used to refer to the united states as they thought that the united states was a mountain made of gold the first chinese who came to america came as gold prospectors because of the gold rush in california Uh and so they thought they were going to come to america and get rich and be able to go back home and start a family and everything yeah so the second part of the song kind of refers to it's kind of cowboy music-ish, sort of, where it go, you know, it goes up the one to the four and the yeah, one to the, the five. Uh, but the beginning of the song is all pentatonic scale melodies, which of course are very Chinese. Uh-huh. And I thought that the rhythm some of the rhythms that I used in the melody are the kinds of rhythms that I was hearing in traditional Chinese music yeah um the rhythms are very different from traditional japanese music so you know it's kind of like white people say well you guys all look the same <laughs> and probably they all say well chinese music and japanese music it's all the same it's not you know yeah. just like cha 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 and samba is not the same
0: yeah 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 um, so that
1: was that was my inspiration for that okay. song
0: well, let's uh, let's listen to Gold Mountain before I blunder into that again. <laughs> uh, Gold Mountain, folks. almost exclusively fretless bass. Uh, Pretty
1: much, yes. Um, I use a fretted bass only when I'm jobbing or on recording sessions. Yeah. Because most of the music that I play could loosely be called creative music, either jazz or Latin jazz, or even the singer-songwriter or rock bands that I play in. Uh Uh-huh. that don't seem to require a fretted bass. Uh-huh. And I just feel more comfortable with the fretless, especially in jazz. I cannot play jazz on a fretted bass. Uh-huh. Of course, at jobbing dates, occasionally you have to play the, quote, cocktail jazz set. Uh-huh. <laughs>
2: yeah. And
1: I always feel like I'm playing with handcuffs on.
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know,
1: uh-huh. The fretless bass just allows me to move around more, uh, smoothly,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And as far as soloing goes, I mean, I just my inspiration has always been upright bass, uh-huh. and unlike most of the bass players out there now, mm-hmm. my first gig as a bass player was not in a rock band. My first gig as a as a bass player was in a bebop band. Huh. So my initial Points of reference in my influences as a jazz bass player were not rock players yeah. or okay. funk players or whatever. The, my initial points of reference were Ray Brown and Ron Carter and Paul Chambers and Charles Mingus. Uh-huh. So that's what I was attempting. To, to sound like yeah and of course i'm i'm, I'm still waiting to get there
0: <laughs> we always are in you know ending up waiting to get to our goal is we keep moving them forward but that's what makes it fun i think you know you, yeah you always have something to look forward to well i love the sound of the fretless it's just a sm- it's smooth as butter it's wonderful to listen to
1: yeah and hopefully uh at least 65 percent in tune <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, if you hear it in time, you can fix it on the fly. <laughs> yeah. You know, this last year has been brutal for musicians. I don't know how else to say it other than that. Uh, March 13th of 2020, uh, I played my last gig until about a month ago. And then I started playing. Um, I, got, I got called for a few things during the summer, but uh, circumstances for me were such that it wasn't time to go back yet. Um but, so, just about a month ago, I put a job or two, and i've I've got some things coming up soon, and it's gradually trickling back in. But you know, uh, you know somebody who is uh, busy as you are and technically adept, how, how do you see um, what happened with the pandemic and everybody going virtual life? How do you see that as affecting? Uh, our livelihoods or our ability to work as musicians. Do you think things have changed for the permanent?
1: I think that things have changed permanently. I hope that they're not going to be this bad permanently. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that uh, for the people who have figured out how to technologically adapt to the circumstances, it's a great thing for them. Uh, I still have not yet. I mean, this is only the sixth or seventh zoom kind of thing that i've done ah,
2: cool.
1: i tried to teach when it first started i tried teaching remotely but um the teaching base was just too difficult for me yeah, yeah. Uh, because i have to be able to see both of my students hands my uh-huh. student has to be able to see both of my hands yeah. and the um you know, the latency or the syncing problem was not that big of a deal for me because we're not playing together. Yeah. But, you know, there was just no way to get, uh, get a hands detailed hands. enough mm. screenshots of that. He could see what this hand was doing and he could see what this hand was yeah. doing.
2: Yeah. And
1: I could see what he was doing right or what he was doing wrong or how to adjust things. Yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, Gigging wise, I had not a ton of gigs last year, but I had some outdoor gigs. So at Uh least I was able to keep playing until it got cold, of course. Yeah, yeah. I was also lucky enough that I did a fair amount of recording over the last year and a half. Oh, great. Uh, But other than that, uh, the first time that my band got together again after the shutdown on St. Patrick's Day, mm-hmm. we hadn't played together for, I guess, so that was around March 16th that everything shut down, and we played our first outdoor concert on my front lawn probably in the middle of June, I'm thinking. Wow. And that was the longest, especially for my drummer, Heath Chapel. He and I sometimes his wife would say you saw hosh more than i did this week because we would play sometimes seven or eight gigs together in a week in various different bands yeah yeah. it took us it took us an entire set until all of us were kind of like sinking together and feeling like oh okay this is what it's supposed to be like but it took us another Another gig to feel really comfortable, like, okay, yeah, we're back. Yeah. yeah. As a band, individually, I think everybody it was still knocking the rust off. And yeah, uh, I practiced more in the last year and a half than I've ever practiced in my <laughs> life, but it's not the same, you know?
0: No, no way is the same. No way. I've got two rehearsals <laughs> coming up on Sunday, and yeah, you know, they're just rehearsals, but these are band leaders who are recognizing the very fact the very thing that you outlined that you know everybody's going to feel weird working together uh for the first time and um uh so they're trying to <laughs> trying to dust things off in, in private as it were um, yeah
1: well as a trumpet player for you cuz you know I remember what that was like <laughs> uh the uh the matter of endurance and chops oh yeah uh, you know, do you have enough chops left to play a three-hour chopping date? Yeah, yeah. And it's the same thing with me. I mean, I played a loud rock gig, uh, two and a two-and-a-half-hour rock gig, last Saturday night,
2: yeah. and
1: uh, it was a cream Jimi Hendrix tribute band, so it's a lot of hard bass play. Yeah, yeah. And um, my picking fingertips were just Meet by the end of the gig, you
0: know. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, Things are things are coming back though. Things are coming back. Hey, let's listen to some more music. Uh, the next track that I uh, uh, had in mind to listen to was a thing called Azul Oscuro. Uh, uh, Oscuro. Oscuro. Yeah, pardon my uh, <laughs> Chicago pronunciation. Uh, uh, <laughs> tell me about uh, what that. Tell me about that tune.
1: <laughs> uh that was one of the first Latin jazz tunes that I wrote that was not based on Brazilian music. Oh. It was more based on Afro-Cuban music. So that's really, although it does have a bridge that's kind of flamenco-ish and is kind of, um, you know, a little bit like La Fiesta. Uh-huh. So, again, I was trying to combine two different streams of Latin music Uh and I did get quite a bit of flack on that from reviewers on websites, uh, Latin, you know, hardcore Latin jazz guys uh-huh. were saying, well, you can't do that, man. I mean, you can't, you can't have Afro-Cuban and then go into flamenco.
2: Uh-huh.
1: You know, and I get that kind of purism, but we're not a purist band. Uh Uh, We've always tried to combine different influences, and I try to be as respectful as I can. I I think that's important. You want to respect the roots of the music that you're playing, but unless you're calling yourself uh, a folkloric uh, preservation kind of a band, I Uh think that you have um, the leeway uh, to try and Things like that, Uh and that's what fusion music is. I mean, you know, we kind of always have been a Latin jazz fusion band, is what Uh it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's give a listen to some Latin jazz fusion. Azul, wait, say it for me. A scudo. All right, (laughs) there we go. other things besides just the music. Um, I remember when I came out with my, uh, second CD, I, uh, got you to do the, um, uh, uh, what they call jewel card box and liner notes for it. Um, tell us about that line of your work.
1: Well, I, I've always worked in graphic design, Uh graphic arts field. Um, and actually, probably the first money that I ever made as a as a pre-teenager, I mean, I was probably 11 years old, was a friend of mine, a friend of mine and myself. We used to draw uh Ratfink sweatshirts. I don't <laughs> know if, I'm sure you're old enough to remember that. At, yeah. that I and so, you know, and that showed me that I could make money. As an artist, and so I've always worked in the art departments of my my high school newspaper, my college newspaper, in advertising agencies, typography shops, typesetting shops, and uh, it's an aspect of my life that I really love, and I've been lucky to be able to to do more than a hundred. CD and DVD package designs, uh, mostly for musicians in Chicago that I know of. But I also have a couple of clients that I've never met in my life uh, from outside of the city, uh, recommended uh, by friends of theirs who knew me. And um, to me, the music and the graphic design uh, really are related to each other. Uh, when I'm designing a package, I'm thinking of rhythm yeah. in terms of the composition of the package. Uh-huh. When I'm composing music or playing a solo, I'm thinking visually. I'm thinking, and I always tell my students this, if you're going to play a solo, the solo has to have an arc to it.
0: Uh-huh. It doesn't
1: just go, here's my solo. Yeah. You know, you have to kind of picture it to me like a landscape.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Uh. And so the design business kind of helped keep me afloat during the quarantine. Uh-huh. Um, I also wrote, did a lot of chart writing for people during the quarantine. Yeah. Everything from just writing lead sheets for singers and transposing it to their keys to uh, transcribing um recordings for a singer, and then cutting the, cutting a big band recording down to uh, a seven-piece band, uh-huh. kind of figuring out yes. what's more important to get the idea of this recording across and assign it to however many guys he has in the band.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I also did some liner note writing and public relations writing uh, and I still had a student or two throughout the whole thing. So between all of that stuff, uh, I was able to hang on. It was, yeah. it was difficult, you know.
0: It is, has been for all of us. I'm kind of curious. Um, kind of, this is kind of touching back to comments you made earlier. Um, do you feel that the, um, the fact that we have to go virtual with so much of our lives has leveled the playing field? Uh, for musicians in some way? Or graphic artists?
1: I think it probably has, but I'm not sure in a good way. Uh, I'm sure, you know, individual case to case for some musicians, for some artists, it's been a real good thing. I mean, because uh you're no longer geographically uh, chained to where you live and where you work. Yeah. Um, But... For the musicians especially, I still feel like that uh, the experience of trying to play virtually with somebody else, trying to record virtually with somebody else, Mm. it's possible, but I don't think that it's anywhere near the optimum situation. And uh, I talk to uh, my friends who are teachers especially Uh, The difficulties of teaching a big band course in a college, you know, everybody's figured out how to do that. But it is never, ever going to be the same as four trumpet players standing next to each other Uh and hearing the, the overtones from each other to play in tune, you know.
2: Yeah. and then
1: hearing hearing the effect of the entire band and trying to get everybody on the same page rhythmically um and uh, uh intonation you know
0: yeah sure
1: so i think we've yet to see how this is going to pan out in the future
0: yeah it's still in, i guess it's still in development in some ways huh yeah interesting stuff um uh one of the questions I'd like to ask my guests on this little show is how would you advise newer or younger musicians who are looking to make this a, a life for themselves, a career, uh, how would you advise them, what would you advise them to do to make this go better for themselves? Uh, Experience uh, has so much to offer. Um, So what what, what does their experience tell you what you would want to say to them?
1: Yeah, I really don't know at this (laughs) point. And uh, I'm getting ready to uh, offer a seminar at the Old Town School of Folk Music called Band Leading 101, which will touch on some of those subjects. Um, Yeah. But the, the geography is so unknown still yeah, uh, that I don't know how to advise a young musician how to move forward. Obviously, I think that, um, and of course, you know, when we talk about young musicians, we're talking about all different kinds of musicians, too. Yeah. 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 If we we're talking about jazz musicians, my... Stock answer would have been, well, it would be a good idea for you to go to school, if only from the networking standpoint. Oh. But now, if, and I guess a, a lot of the colleges that I hear are going back to regular classrooms, which is good, yeah, uh, as long as everybody doesn't die. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the networking standpoint is super important if you're trying to go into jazz, Yeah. because you have to meet other people and start to figure out is this player compatible with what I like to do
2: Uh
1: Uh Um, in the rock field. uh, I just don't know, you know, I mean, again, in the old days, if you were a rock musician, the way that you got into the business usually was you started your own rock band or you joined a rock band that a friend of yours had started, yeah, and yeah. you started playing gigs, and of course started playing gigs, sharing b- bills with other bands, sure. and started meeting other musicians on the scene, and that was the way that you networked then.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, the other aspect of the equation is, but well, networking is not enough. you got to be able to play. Yeah. You got to be technically proficient on your instrument. You have to know what kind of what the music that you want to play. You have to kind of you got to know the history of it and uh, have some points of reference. And uh, ultra of ultra importance. And I I intend to stress this in my band leading seminar is don't be an asshole. (laughs) <laughs> you know? uh, I remember many, many years ago when there were still gigs at the Chicago Bulls games. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, my band, Swayneos, played a lot of those gigs. And uh, Joe Rendon, the conga player, sure. uh, who is now kind of my regular conga player, he was playing with somebody else and they always had three or four bands at the Bulls games. And uh, I guess Joe wasn't exactly happy with the band that he was playing with. <laughs> and he said, Hey man, can you hire me, man? Because you always have nice guys. working." <laughs> and, you know, you can, you, you sort of take for granted that once you reach a certain level in the business that everyone's level of proficiency is going to be, it's going to be more or less a level playing field. Yeah. So then the hiring decisions come down to usually not who is the best player on an instrument in Chicago, but who do I like? Who's going to get along with all of the other guys? Who's going to not be a disruptive element in the band? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you know. Well, on the subject about um, you know how you pick people to work with you, Um, you know, I have I've I've played with you, and I uh, I know that typically you work with smaller groups. But once in a while, I run into you on a big band, and Mm -hmm. as a trumpet player, uh, I tend to do a lot of big bands. Although um, uh, my horizons are starting to hone in a little bit on smaller groups for the future. but um, the the one that okay the one thing I've noticed about big bands around Chicago is that uh, over the years I've been playing here is diversity has kind of gone out the window. Uh, most of the big bands that I play with, well, shoot, all of them that I play with are basically a lot of um, you know they're white boomers. To put it real bluntly, one of the bands I play with, the band leader likes to try to hire women as much as possible. (laughs) They will hire um, from all age groups. So there's diversity within, there's chronological diversity and gender diversity. But um, uh, none of my uh, black friends show up on these bands. Uh, I uh, uh, was running into them uh, on jobbing bands but um uh, the big bands are not diverse uh, uh how do you think that could be handled what can we do to fix that uh, around i'm not even sure what to ask
1: <laughs> yeah well i mean that's a much broader question
0: yeah I guess uh, so.
1: you know i mean that's a cultural question and I think that for a while we we did have a period of time here in Chicago where it wasn't quite so uh, cut and dried, segregated.
2: Yeah. I mean,
1: I'm sure you remember Edwin Williams, who oh. was one of the guys who was on all of the big bands on the north side. Yeah. A um, couple of other south side African-American musicians have, have been able to work on the north side and some of the white guys have been able to play in some of the black bands on the south side but gradually um for some reason and i wouldn't know what the reason is things started to get back to the era of segregation and i don't even want to call it racial segregation because i don't think that's the point i think really You know, what it comes down to is just what we were talking to. Band leaders, section leaders tend to hire musicians that they know and that they're comfortable working with. And as things just kind of just generally sifted down to the way that they are now, a lot of the Northside band leaders just don't know any African-American musicians anymore, you know? I think that's really what it comes down to,
0: Yeah, you know? Yeah. More sociological than, uh, I don't even know that's the right word. Social, I think.
1: Yeah. Social is is exactly the right word because it's not sociology, but it's, yeah. I'm going to hire this guy that I've known for a long time. Yeah. And, you know, in the big band scene especially,
2: Yeah,
1: I'm sure that uh, you see that there's, there's probably a pool of about a 100 players on the north side yeah. that are on all of the big bands, yeah. which is not necessarily a bad thing, yeah. you know, but uh it's just just the way it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I like to bring it up in these conversations because I kind of want to see if there's some way we can get people to think about it a little bit. Yeah. You know?
1: yeah you know and i'm as guilty as any other band leader um i have tried to make a point of hiring uh female musicians throughout my career as a band leader uh and i have hired african-american musicians and especially latin musicians and asian musicians as well but uh you know it's such a complicated equation yeah uh, it's not just who's capable of doing the gig, as I've said
2: yeah
1: uh, who's available for a gig
0: yeah, who's
1: willing to work for the money that I'm able to offer
0: dance cash
1: <laughs> yeah uh, yeah you know there, there's just so many variables
0: yeah it's a, it's a challenge, it's a challenge. Well, um, that got a little heavy. So let's listen to some <laughs> more music. <laughs> um, the tune that I have next in line is a thing called Haiku. Tell us about Haiku in seven syllables.
1: Okay. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so the song itself the form of the song is 17 measures. Is it really? Okay. Yes. So, see, you didn't notice that. I tried to write the song so that it wouldn't be obvious that there's an extra measure Uh, in a 16-bar form.
0: That's great, man.
1: And other than that, that's really, I wanted to write a song that that was 17 bars, that had a, a vaguely Asian flavor to the
2: melody
1: Uh uh, but still had some changes that wasn't just a purely diatonic uh, pentatonic i guess the melody is fairly pentatonic but there are changes to play over yeah and especially you got to count that extra measure you know (laughs) and that's what screws a lot of guys up after they played the the melody the first time and it feels Organic. It doesn't feel like oh, I put an extra measure in there. Uh-huh. But then when they start to the solo, they kind of close their eyes and they always come up a measure short.
0: <laughs> Better out to close it. I've done that before. I have to. <laughs> well, let's listen to Haiku uh, from the band Martha. Is that it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Haiku. the end of our conversation Steve this is great um, tell us uh, you've got a ton of music here um, uh, tell us where we can find it how can we buy your CDs buy your music uh, support your effort
1: you know <laughs> I'm not even sure at this point yeah. uh, I think that um, some of the CDs are still available on Amazon or uh-huh. TuneCore Okay. Um I think that they can be streamed or downloaded also. Uh-huh. Uh but I will admit, and this is something that I'm going to have to remedy. Uh-huh. uh I just haven't stayed on top of that. You know, when and so the last Mothra album was released on the Chicago Sessions label. Okay. Um And I think that their website, uh, he closed his website down, but I'm sure he still has a ton of the CDs Uh that he would be willing to sell. Um, If you just Google Chicago Sessions, there's probably an email address. Uh Uh, The... The earlier Mothra album was released on Asian Improv Records. Uh-huh. And I think it's probably out of print now. I, uh, the record company is still operating. And Uh they may still have some copies. And I have a few copies of all of my albums. Uh -uh. Like a (laughs) truckload, you know. Uh, People want to contact me, I'd be happy to sell them. Okay, okay. And the Swain Hills album, I put that out myself, so that's only uh, available through me.
0: Okay, so if uh, we put your contact information in there, that'll be okay? Yeah, you can just put my my email address. All right, we'll do that. We'll do that. Um, So... uh, Let's give a listen to one more tune before we get going here. Um, this is Hiroshi from Suenios. Tell us about Hiroshi. Um, I wrote
1: that after my dad died. That was my
0: dad's middle name. Oh, okay. And so
1: it was not my intention to write something that was even vaguely Asian-influenced, but uh-huh. just to write a sad ballad and yeah. again, you know, with some emotion, with melody, with some chord changes to play over, yeah. and it's also got kind of an unusual form. Uh, there are a couple of extra measures in the form
2: uh-huh.
1: uh, that are extensions of the melody, basically, and, and that's that's the whole story. It's written yeah. for my dad.
0: Oh, it's very sweet, man. Let's listen to Hiroshi. Steve, it has been great talking to you about this stuff. Uh, I'm sure we could go on for hours, but I I try to keep my my little programs to about an hour, and by the time we listen to all the music, we're going to be over that. (laughs) But It's well worth it, because I just love this stuff. And and Ladies and gentlemen, there's more where that came from. Um, I think the, the words of wisdom that you've offered here have been wonderful, and I hope that the the younger musicians who are out there listening to this can pick up ideas from it and and run with that. Uh, So, man, Steve, thanks for being here. Thank you, Nick. I'll see you Monday. I'll see you Monday. Yeah, a little recording session on a Latin chart, I might add. So look forward to getting together with you, man. All right, Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Steve Hash Hashimoto. Okay, Thanks. Well, folks, I cannot thank Steve Hashimoto enough for having this conversation today. There were some wonderful ideas that were shared. So if you want to buy his music or be able to find out more about what he's doing, just send him an email at Hashimoto at AOL.com. Now, that's H-A-S-H-I-M-O-T-O. Hashimoto at AOL.com. And you know, while we're on the subject, you know, this is my little podcast, I might as well plug some of my own stuff. Um, If you would like, if you like the theme song, that's a chart called Punk's Funk, that was written for my son, and that's on my CD, No Man Is an Island, and you can certainly find that on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, CD Baby, and uh, some of these things are available on YouTube, so um, please feel free to go support what I'm trying to do And um, I have other music as well uh, Besides that CD no Man's An Island I've got quite a bit of stuff out there uh, Just yeah, go to Spotify and type in my name And things will pop up Well that's it for this show uh, We hope you've enjoyed it So this is a friendly neighborhood studio man Thanking you for being here today And saying until the next program Don't stop the music Peace